Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning for you, chock full of all kinds of training information, dog information. We have our guest spots, listener Q&A, Breathe of the Week, all kinds of great stuff that you're going to want to check out weekly, so be sure you're clicking it. And you can find me on social media as well. I'm on Instagram, Speak a Dogcast, and Facebook, Speak a Dogcast. We have a wonderful show lined up. The first segment today is going to be called, Should I Let My Dog Roam? Should you let your dog out unattended, roam around the neighborhood? Yeah, we're going to dive deep into this subject and talk more about it. Then we're going to have our Breed of the Week, followed by our guest spot. Today's guest, it's Taylor Gilmore from the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast. I was so excited to have her on because we're going to have a lot of different segments going on in the next couple weeks and coming months with the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast. And, you know, I was able to go out there and meet with quite a few people before our uh, interview with Taylor, see the facility. And really, I, I'm, I'm very excited to share what they do. And it's more than just adoptions. There's so many different facets of, of the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast. And, and like I said, we're going to have multiple guest spots. We're going to have a lot of different people on from the facility to talk more about what they do. So you're going to want to check that out. Then we're going to have our listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, whether it be training related or just dog or animal related in general, you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Now we're going to get going with the show, but before we do, I'm going to give you today's trivia question. And today's question is, what is the national dog of Cuba? Yes, what breed of dog is the national dog of Cuba? Of course, I'll give you the answer to today's question somewhere in the podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, we have a segment called, Should I Let My Dog Roam? Now, this is something I run into quite often, unfortunately. Uh, not that people really ask me, should I let my dog roam? More that they're running into dogs that are roaming around their neighborhood. Uh, you know, just even this past week, I had multiple clients ask me, what should I do if I come across a dog that's out loose? So, you know, let's just start with answering the question, should I let my dog roam? Yes and no. <laughs> you know, like what you'll discover with myself and my rules when it comes to training is there there are basic rules, boundaries, you know, things like that. There's a basic set of rules, if you will, of what I think is desirable behavior and undesirable behavior, right? And I think there's certain things that you do with your dog or don't do with your dog that gets you the results, you know, that, that, that quantify, qualify, good, or excuse me, desired behavior, undesired behavior, you know, okay. But, but the point I'm getting to is that there's always an exception, to my rules. There really are. There's always an exception. Even if that exception is only 1% of the time or 1% of the owners, or maybe even sometimes less than 1%, there's always an exception to my rules. And, you know, you should see, for example, look, I've already talked about it. The state of Florida, in the state of Florida, we have leash laws. And as I've also said, I don't know everybody's leash laws, whether it be state, county, city, there's so many different levels of government that have certain rules, certain regulations on leash laws. So uh, disclaimer, right? It's important that you know your local leash laws, your state leash laws, uh, what's allowed and what's not allowed as far as having your dog on and off leash. Now, as I've also said in the state of Florida, the leash law is pretty simple, pretty basic. It's pretty straightforward. 
if you are not on private property, your dog has to be leashed up, okay? Again, you know, just to, just to cover it in a nutshell, even if you live in suburbia, even if you live in a regular old neighborhood, if your dog crosses over into your neighbor's yard and it's not, you don't have a leash on it, you don't have control over it, you're actually breaking state leash laws. That's correct. I know people really don't like to hear the truth on that, but that's the truth of it, guys. Your dog has to be within your yard if it's not on a leash. The second it crosses the property line, you are breaking the law. You can be cited. And it can go further than that. You know, look, in the past, I've I've (laughs) had a few issues with a few uh, neighbors that to me are maybe very inconsiderate by letting their dogs do whatever they want. And the dogs are not behaved. The dogs don't know rules matters. The dogs might have aggression tendencies or issues. And it becomes a big problem. And that's why these leash laws are in place. That's why leash laws are a thing. So I implore you to do some research, to know your local leash laws, state leash laws, all that good stuff that goes along with it. Know what's acceptable and what is not. Now, should I let my dog roam? (laughs) Let's see if we can get back to it. Because like I said, it's not a fully black and white answer. But when it comes to the law, it's a black and white answer, right? When it comes to the law, the law flat out says, no, David, in the state of Florida, no, you can't just let your dog roam. So whether you think it's right or wrong is an irrelevant point. Okay. And so that's the first thing is you need to take your selfish thoughts and throw them to the side that if you're breaking the laws, whether you agree with them or not, you're the one breaking the law. And it's that simple. If you truly are that passionate about reversing leash laws or anything, right, then you should advocate for it and go do something about it. But Breaking the law in the meantime is not helpful and it's not going to make things better. So again, know your local leash laws, but we're going to kind of talk about this with the assumption that, hey, you're a Floridian. That's just, that's, that's where my expertise on it is. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about. So no, no, you should not let your dog roam. For the most part, for the vast majority of owners, no, I'm sorry. Your dog should not be unattended outside and roaming the neighborhood and having free reign. Look, I know this is a very old school mentality. It's very old school thought process. Just let a dog be a dog, right? One of my one of my least one of my least favorite phrases when it comes to dogs and training. Just let a dog be a dog. Just let the dogs figure it out amongst each other. Not always the right answer there guys okay so it's a very old school i think mentality of just unleash the dog and let the dog go be a dog and quote unquote let the dog be a dog and unfortunately that it couldn't be more wrong for so many reasons right hey let's just look at an obvious one do we really need dogs out on the street that are intact right un unneutered un, they're not spayed they're not neutered do we really need intact dogs roaming the streets and creating more dogs and more no no is the answer to that. So to me, it's pretty straightforward. No, your dog should not be out roaming the streets. Now, here's the other side of the coin. I live in the country. Some people, even in the state of Florida, live on maybe 100 acres of land. Then in that case, yeah, actually, your dog can roam. Look, I had a client recently. Uh, they, live on, they live on 10 acres, and they have farm animals, and they have chickens, and, they, and the type of dogs that they have are farm-type dogs that live to protect, live to protect their their uh, their animals, the farm animals, live to protect the property. And you know something? There's nothing wrong with letting those dogs have some freedom outside, letting them roam the property, letting them do their job, letting them have a job and getting fulfillment if it's done 
properly, as always, right? So there's an example of where maybe it's okay to let a dog roam because they have 10 acres, but 10 acres in a neighborhood, right? That's going to be a lot of homes you can fit on 10 acres in, in a regular HOA type neighborhood in the state of Florida. So no, if you're living in that neighborhood, you shouldn't be letting your dog roam. But if you have 10 acres, to let, then yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, okay? But it's not this crazy like, hey, a dog needs to roam to get fulfillment. No, no, no. Let's go back and go to the basics here, guys. Go back to my my segments on a walk and walking a dog. That's really the equivalent. That's what people are trying to do for their dog. You know, I get it. They're trying to give them fulfillment and again, letting them be a dog, let a dog be a dog. But if you really want to let your dog be a dog, go take your dog for a proper walk. That's what your dog needs. Your dog needs a pack walk. It doesn't need to just go roam the neighborhood, poop and pee in people's yards, mount and hump other dogs, go and kill small animals. That's not really what your dog needs for proper fulfillment. I'm sorry. It's just not okay. Um, And you really shouldn't be doing it. What you should do is take your dog for a proper walk. Again, shameless plug. If you haven't listened to my segments on the walks, please go back. Please go check them out. There's really important information in there about why we need to do a walk and why that pack walk is such an important part of your dog's life. And there's a huge difference between opening the door and just letting your dog go out for a run and taking your dog for a pack walk. Very big difference right there. So that level of fulfillment, just that alone, your dog's not going to get fulfillment from just roaming around aimlessly. I'm sorry. They're just not. So it's not good. Now, coming to it from the other side of, you know, I I get people that do let their dog roam. They're doing it with, with correct intent, usually. They're trying to give their dog something to do. They're trying to give them fulfillment. But here's the other side of it, guys. What about everybody else else out in the world? What about everybody else out in your neighborhood that has dogs or that's just trying to be, how about a kid that's just trying to ride their bike and your dog chases after them and runs after them and barks because you've let them loose? What about that side of it, right? To me, the side that's just kind of rude. <laughs> I mean, just downright rude. You shouldn't be doing it for the simple fact of just be a nice person, be a nice human being, be considerate to others. Um, you know, it's it's bad enough that people don't have control over their dogs when they're on leash. We don't need loose dogs running around causing chaos and causing mayhem. So, no, you should not be letting your dog roam. Have I said it yet? <laughs> the vast majority of you out there do not have the setup to let your dog do. Let your dog be a dog. Look, if you want to go buy a lot of acreage and a lot of land and quote unquote, let your dog be a dog, by all means, sure, that'd be wonderful. I wish every dog owner lived on acres and acres and acres of land where they could let their dog be a dog. But the reality is we have these, um, you know, we have have houses, neighborhoods, structures, fences, all these different things, sounds, noises, cars, all these unnatural variables that we add to a dog's life. And when you just let a dog out into this world and you don't really teach them how to properly adjust to it, 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 that's where we get these behavior issues. That's where we get dogs that are going to be biting people and the neighbors because you're not on hundreds of acres of nature and land and wilderness. You're not in a dog's natural environment. 
And so it causes problems. So again, hey, you want to go buy a lot of acreage and a lot of land and go let your dog be a dog, please. Look, that's part of the reason why I bought a couple acres is because I would like to be able to let my dogs out and let them, quote unquote, be dogs. <laughs> I've said it a couple of times because I think it's kind of silly. Let a dog be a dog. Well, what does that really mean? We could talk about that a different day. That might be another segment, a topic for a different day. Um but yeah, that's part of the reason I bought acreage. I mean, it really is. I've, I, I actually mentioned it before. I didn't just buy it for me. Um, yeah, I prefer to have a little space between myself and my neighbors and not feel so claustrophobic. But I really, a lot of the reason I did it was for my dogs, for my animals, to give them space, to let them feel a little more like they can go out and run around and chew on sticks and hell, roll in the dirt, you know. I want my dogs to act like dogs. But you can't just open the door and let them go if you live in a neighborhood. You just can't. It's against the law in the state of Florida, and it's downright inconsiderate, okay? So I, 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 I lately I've really been running into it where people go, boy, I, I run into dogs all the time. There's one neighborhood I, I'm in the area that I'm in quite often. And I go for walks and with a lot of the dogs and I do a lot of training sessions in there. And hey, knock on wood, right? I haven't run into any loose dogs, but it surprises me that even in this neighborhood, how many of my clients say they run into loose dogs, which is just terrible. Why? Why? Like, why are people letting their dogs do that? And it causes issues. And then my client who has their dog on a leash, they're doing the right thing. They're following the laws. They're now in a predicament. Here's this dog that's potentially bar. I, you know, my client doesn't know this loose dog necessarily. They don't know what their intent is, what their behavior is. For all they know, this dog's coming to attack them or their own dog. You know, I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. When I see a loose dog, I have to kind of assume with, before I can read the behavior, before I can assess my first assumption is, yeah, this, this, this isn't gonna, this isn't, this isn't good. <laughs> I mean, right away, the owner has given so little care to this dog to just let it out and roam. That's not a good sign that they've trained it or properly adjusted its behavior. No. So it's a tough spot you put other people in when you let your dogs out like that. Now, I want to talk about a worst case scenario thing here, okay? Now, this isn't, obviously, I, I hope this doesn't happen to anybody, but you know something, the reality is it does, and I think it's important that people know what to do in this scenario. What happens if you do have a dog coming at you? What happens if you are out, whether you have your dog with you or not? What happens if you're out and about just somewhere, anywhere, and a dog is coming at you aggressively. What do you do? Right? What What do you do? It's really important to know. And to me, there's a couple really helpful tips, hints, and it's tough in that moment. Uh, you know, your adrenaline's going. You, you're as a human, you're going into fight and flight mode. Um, but you know, hopefully, a couple things to just think about. And again, I, I really, I hope this never happens to anybody. It is one of those worst case scenario situations. But it's important to know what to do in those situations. So. You've got a dog coming at you. The worst thing you can do. This is something I don't want you to do. Don't turn and run, right? That's an invitation. Do not turn and run away from a dog who's acting aggressive toward you, okay? Who's coming at you from a distance. You're really inviting them to chase after you. All you're doing is, is hitting their fight and flight instincts, and you're putting them into prey drive mode by just running away from them. So it might be tough, and it kind of goes against your instinct, but you have to try really hard don't run away from them, okay? If you can stand still, don't make any sudden movements and don't make any eye contact, see if that'll get the dog to stop ch chasing after you. 
Okay, that can help a lot of times, just removing the movement and then not making any eye contact and keeping your body language relaxed. And what you're trying to convey to that dog is, hey, I'm not a threat. It might be a little bit, you know, you can watch them out of the corner of your eye. Obviously, you want to be aware of what they're doing, but you do not want to be staring them down. You do not want to be making any intense eye contact with them because eye contact, as we've talked about it with dogs, it's a form of communication and you you don't want to inadvertently be threatening to them. You don't want to be signaling a fight to them. So it's important that you avoid that direct eye contact, stand still, stay relaxed. Hopefully the dog will sort of keep its distance and bark at you and warn and warn. And the dog is going to be assessing you at the same time, right? And if you're not a threat to them, a lot of times the dogs will end up giving up and walking away. Okay. Now, worst case scenario, let's say the dog doesn't. Let's say it doesn't matter that you've stood still, that you're not making, this dog is still coming at you, right? Okay. One of the, you know, the only things you can do, and this is just a terrible moment, right? This is going to be a terrible moment. Uh, but I, I, you know, I want to give you a piece of advice that hopefully can help if God forbid you're ever in that moment, put your forearm out. Okay. And again, I know guys, this is tough to talk about, but I think it's, I think it's good information that you guys need to know. If the dog is coming at you, you need to put your forearm out and let them bite your forearm. That way you're protecting your stomach, you're protecting vital organs, you're protecting your legs, right? We've got the uh, uh, femoral artery that runs down there. So it's, it's a really good idea to put your forearm out and let them get the forearm. And that way also you can hopefully reach in, grab a collar, grab control, anything in that moment, right? It's a tough moment. Um, but if they get your arm, it's a lot better than them getting stomach area or like I said, on the thigh or anything like that. So something to consider, something to think about. Keep that in the back of your mind. Again, really hope this never happens to you guys. It's a tough topic to talk about. Um, but unfortunately, there are irresponsible owners out there who who do let their dogs roam like this. And these things do happen. You know, it's, it's sad, but they do. So it's good that you be empowered with some information and aware of at least hopefully maybe something in those crazy moments, something that you can do to help um, help prevent it at least or make it a little better. So... Um, but getting back to it, guys, this, this is why, you know, this is why you can't let your dogs out freely. You cannot let them roam. There's too many people. There's too many other dogs. There's too many other creatures. It's not safe. Okay. And it's really, I, I can't stress it again. It's not what's important for your dog. It's not what your dog needs. Your dog doesn't need to roam the neighborhood for the day. It's just not going to give them fulfillment, you know? And again, I know this is an old school mentality. Like I'm not, I'm not picking on my dad and my dad, you know, he was a kid. He had no control over this, Uh, but he had a dog growing up and dogs were outside animals. They'd keep them in the backyard during the day. And then at night, let them go and roam the the town. I bet you that dog had a little too good of a time, you know, and caused a lot of issues. I, this was a long time ago. Different world, <laughs> but that's just it. I think that mentality of that's just that's just how it was. That's how dogs were viewed for the most part, and that's how people treated them. And there still is some of that to today. So I think it's really important that you guys understand letting a dog out and off leash and roaming is not healthy. You're not helping your dog. You're not making that dog's life any better by doing that. And as a matter of fact, you're making a lot of other people's lives worse, right? So try to be considerate. Don't be doing that. Should you let your dog roam? Again, I always have that exception to the rule. 
if you live on acres of land, you've got a working type dog, you've got a dog that belongs outside more and needs a job, then yeah, you know something? If you set it up correctly and you do it in a healthy way, absolutely let your dog roam your property as long as it's safe, fenced, right? Your dog's not getting into neighboring properties. Even if you live on 100 acres, it's not really considered if your dog is going over to somebody else's property and killing their livestock or chickens or something, right? Dogs are still predators. So fence in your property. Give them an area of your couple hundred acres that can be fenced that they can roam safely, okay? So again, unless you're living on hundreds of acres, which, hey, if you want to do that and give your dog that life, I'm all about it. I'm all for it. But the reality is that's not the environment that most of us live in, okay? It's just not. It's not the reality of it. And again, we can give them other things to do, such as giving them a good proper walk. We've talked about agility and all that other fun stuff and all the other ways we can give our dogs a job, but letting them roam is not one of them. So pretty black and white to me, guys. It really is. It's pretty black and white. First of all, you need to know your local leash laws, your state leash laws, and if it's even acceptable for your dog to be off-leash, because I'm pretty sure for the most part, no. <laughs> Just from the legal standpoint, it's not. Okay. But again, living in suburbia, don't do it. Please don't do it. It's just rude. It's inconsiderate. It's not going to help your pup. So should you let your dog roam? 99.9% .9 of you, the answer is no. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. And of course, for the 1% of you or point whatever 1%, hey, I'm not, I'm not the accountant here. Um, <laughs> then uh, you can set it up successfully to let your dog roam in a healthy way if you have the environment, if you have the space for it, and if you have a way to do it that is not going to affect other people. So take that into consideration. Get your, get your dog out on a proper and healthy walk instead, and they'll be a lot healthier and happier. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our breed of the week. This week's breed of the week is the Maltese. A member of the toy group, these tiny dudes come in at a height of only 7 to 9 inches and weighing in under 7 pounds. Gentle, confident, playful, and affectionate, the Maltese can make a great companion or a therapy dog. Their long and silky flowing coat and their cute little faces can make them look a bit just, you know, like a lap dog, but don't let that deceive you. They can also excel at tracking and agility and can be quite the little athlete. They can do well in an apartment setting if given proper daily walks and enough exercise and stimulation. They are smart and they do need some consistent training starting from the beginning. Now, while these guys are not big shedders, their coats do require a lot of upkeep. Daily brushing is absolutely necessary to avoid hair buildup that can cause mats and knots and skin irritations. So again, brushing every day must do that. Care must also be taken in keeping their eyes and ears clean and free of debris and kept in good health. These little guys can live up to 12 to 15 years. The Maltese is one of the oldest known dogs in the toy group. Yes, with some ancient origins. It's not exactly known maybe where they came from, but there's a lot of speculation and, you know, even some evidence pointing to it as well. Now, as their name might suggest, the island of Malta in the middle of the Mediterranean is thought to be where this breed originated. Malta was sort of a crossroads of sorts for mariners from all different cultures and countries, and people such as the Greeks, the Phoenicians, Arabs, Romans, Normans, they were just some of the people that used Malta as a stopover point. Of course, many of these merchants brought their dogs along with them on their journeys, and it is thought that the Maltese breed was introduced by the Phoenicians who ruled the Mediterranean before Greece. So when thinking of the Maltese breed, thank the Phoenicians. 
In Roman times, the dogs were thought of as a fashion statement, and at one time it was thought a Roman matron was not properly dressed without a Roman lady's dog sticking out of a sleeve or perhaps popping out of a bosom. Now, after the fall of the Roman Empire, it was Chinese breeders who were credited with keeping this breed from extinction during the Dark Ages. The Maltese was then bred with other toy breeds from China before making its return to Europe. By the 15th century, the Maltese found its way back to Europe and became immensely popular among the French aristocracy and eventually finding its way to England. And in England, the Maltese became quite popular among royalty, becoming a favorite of Queen Elizabeth I, Mary Queen of Scots, and of course, Queen Victoria. The Maltese were uh, registered in the Westminster Kennel Club shows in the 1870s, but it wasn't really until the 1950s that the breed became popular in the U.S., now, they remain one of the most popular breeds through today. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the national dog of Cuba? It's the Havanese. Yes, the Havanese is the national dog of Cuba, developed from the now extinct Blanquito de la Habana, meaning little white dog of Havana. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our guest spot. And today's guest is Taylor Gilmore. She's the Director of Development and Communications at the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast. So please help me welcome to the show, Taylor Gilmore. How are you today? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I am just so glad to have you guys. You know, I know we had um, chatted a couple weeks ago. I kind of told the listeners, you know, hey, heads up, I'm going to have a lot of different guests on from the Humane Society. And I'm really excited because, you know, I got to come out to the facility and I got to see a little bit of what you guys do in a little bit. I mean, a lot of it. There's (laughs) so many different avenues and so many different really neat projects and all kinds of stuff going on at the Humane Society there of of the Treasure Coast. And so, like I said, we're going to be talking a lot about that. So why don't you just kind of dive in and and tell us more about what you do and what the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast is all about? Sure. Oh, there's so much going on. Um, So I am the Director of Development and Communications, as you said. Um, So I handle all of the um, individual giving and giving programs um, for the organization, um, as well as all of the communication that we do on behalf of the organization for the public. Um, so, you know, major gift giving, annual giving, um, planned giving in estates, I handle all of that. Um, but we are, you know, a 501c3 organization. We've been around actually since. 1955. Yes, we started out as the Martin County Animal Rescue League. And then um, 
I think around the 70s or 80s, we became the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast. Um, and we've been at our facility in Palm City um, for the last 20 plus years. Um, so we are excited to have started our three-phase renovation project yes. on that. Um, you know, as you, I think you know already, we became no-kill officially in 2019. Yep. Um, and we've been working really hard um, on that endeavor for, you know, six plus years before that really changing um, our operations, our policies and procedures, um, and really our internal culture and philosophy to really reflect um, the no-kill mantra. Um, And and we're so glad now that our statistics always um, support that um, with our animal um, release rates and everything. So our shelter renovation project that we've been working on um, also is going to further um, support that mindset and that philosophy as well um, with No Kill and the um, five freedoms that ASPCA and Best Friends Animal um, says. Oh, society, sorry, Best Friends Animal Society um, that they all share. Um, So in 2019, we started the um, Mildred and Frank Savastano Outdoor Dog Play Area. um, And that was um, really kicked off by um, two major donors of ours who really share um, that love for dogs um, and really wanted some place where our shelter dogs could um, be out of the shelter and just enjoy life more. So it's outdoors. It's on AstroTurf. Um, Each run is half shaded, half in the sun with big fans um, so they can play with dogs and small uh, play groups or have meet and greets with potential owners and so that was a really, really nice addition to our property. And then um, where actually you and I met in was the WERS, the Jane and Shirley WERS Education Center. Yes. Um, and that's been a phenomenal addition as well. But actually, we opened in 2020, last <laughs> summer, right in the middle of the pandemic. So um, it hasn't gotten the full community use just yet. Sure. But our um, shelter dogs have loved it. Yeah. So we've been yeah. able to have um, different enrichment activities and sure. nose works there. And um, we have started to get back to our training classes that we offer the public and um, and have that in there as well. And then our third and final phase, we are hoping to start at any moment now, courtesy of COVID, but we are (laughs) optimistic that we'll be able to start this year in 2020. And that's going to focus on our lobby and adoption areas, Um, you know, especially like I mentioned, um, going to no kill and um, thinking about the five freedoms um, of the ASPCA. Um, It's just really important that we take a look at our temporary shelter um, and housing for shelter pets through their experience. Um, you know, so much has changed in animal land in the last 20 years since we oh, first yeah. built the the facility. So we're really looking forward to getting that started and just creating a, a better um, living environment for, yeah. for the animals while we care for them. Absolutely. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know the facility is definitely aging a bit, but it's so wonderful that there's a lot of people in the area that are coming together and, you know, committing to to making 
you know, upgrading everything. Mm -hmm. And um, you can see, you know, just from the first two phases that we got to walk through and see, uh, you know, you can see really the future of humane society and what's going on there and the bigger picture. And, uh, you know, I, I can visualize it. That's what was cool is we were walking around and they're telling me all about it and the excitement really that you guys were giving off and the staff is giving off about all these projects. And it, like you said, it's all about in the end, the welfare of the dogs, the welfare of the cats, providing an amazing environment for that temporary um, time that they're and and not you know the important thing is the behavioral side of it, right? And mm -hmm. I always go back to it, uh, <laughs> but no, really, it 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 stinks that even in a short amount of time, as we all know, you know, in many shelters, they can be a traumatizing experience for a dog, and it already is before they even walk in the shelter. You know, most dogs um, in in those situations don't come from the best scenarios. Maybe spend some time out on the streets, and they already come with that baggage. So. Being able to provide an environment, you know, I know you guys are talking about pumping the classical music through and oh, calming yes. music and all these different little details that are really going to go into enriching the dog's lives, helping them calm down, helping them relax, helping them make that transition from wherever they were <laughs> to that middle ground where you guys are and getting them into a better home. And the fact that you are trying to really concentrate on on taking that intensity down in that middle time, you know, that's really rough for them is really commendable and really phenomenal. So I, oh. I really like seeing what you guys are doing over there. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, our animal care team, you know, every all the staff at the shelter, they're just so committed and compassionate. And so it's really exciting for everyone, like you said, for us to be able to kind of have a facility that's going to reflect that uh, commitment and passion yeah. from the staff. And um, we're trying to kind of like end that kind of negative uh, visual yeah. of just the sad little pound, <laughs> you know, we want to be, it is a tough spot for animals yeah. to be in, to have to come yeah. and be homeless and be, and be in that situation. So anything and everything that we can provide them during the short time that they are with us, that's really a priority of ours. Definitely. Definitely. And so, you know, um, how long have you been working there now at the Humane Society? Um, I actually just celebrated my third work anniversary hey, on Friday. Congratulations. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, it's been incredible, and I look forward to many years to come. Yeah? And, uh, and where were you working before um, getting into the Humane Society? I actually was came from another uh, nonprofit, but not animal-related. Right. So, yeah, this is mm -hmm. the first animal job. That's right. I think yes, we, yeah, and I've learned so, so much. <laughs> it's been... Um, I, it's been such a wonderful learning experience yes. about this. Yeah, the, the highs and the lows. Oh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> you know it is the animal world, it and, is the it's, animal and world. especially with rescue work. I mean, oh, mm -hmm. I, I I don't know how you how you guys do that day in and day out because there's just there's some tough times and some of the tough things you see that come into the facility. And um, like I said, it, it's beyond commendable um, what you guys do. So that's cool. So this is, but you're loving every second of it clearly because you're hey you, you stuck through it. <laughs> yes, I'm still <laughs> yeah, here. You're still I there. do. <laughs> love it it's really you know when you work for a nonprofit, even um you know on the development side what i do i'm not a service provider for the charity but um even on my side you know being able to get up every day and part of my job is coming to opportunities like this where i get to talk about the organization and to be able to work someplace where you fully understand the operations and the mission and you are just so behind it like at a personal level yeah definitely it's it's just a really incredible feeling, and I feel very fortunate to get to work with such, like I said, such a committed, compassionate, empathetic, and loving um, group of employees. I've, you know, I, I don't do what they do with the animals, but I am so like the level of respect big, that yeah. I have for them, seeing what they do, the and commitment, and, and, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's just truly inspiring and. 
like I said, I'm very grateful to be a part of the team. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Now, it's, it's, you know, it's one thing to go to work and get the paycheck. It's another thing to actually enjoy what you do. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, I, I, I completely understand. That's part, part of the reason I work for myself. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know myself. I know what I, you know, what, what I you gotta like get your fulfillment boss in. What I, <laughs> you gotta, well, sometimes I don't like my boss, right? Oh. It's a, a double-edged sword sometimes <laughs> working for yourself. Uh, but yeah, no, that's really cool. That's really cool. Like I said, you could really, you can just, you can feel it when you walk in that place that really there's a there's just a ton of commitment and a ton of excitement and that's to say excitement in humane society you know they don't necessarily it's, it's it's tough like i said it's a tough rescue work is a is a tough gig and it's a necessary gig and it's amazing that people are committed to it but um it's it's nice to see that passion uh, that goes behind it there so that's cool that's cool so one of the things that really stuck out to me and you know every rescue I mean, every nonprofit for that matter, they were all, you know, all nonprofits reach out and try to get community involvement in one way or the other. Uh, but what really just kind of blew me away was, you know, we started chatting a couple of us when I, when I went out to the facility and they start telling me a little bit about what they do, you know, and the, the different um, organizations that they're involved with. And the list just kept going. <laughs> and the projects just kept going. And it's I was like, wow, this growing. is this is this is like incredible. I mean, I've never seen I don't think I've ever seen really one organ an animal organization that has its foot in so many different doors and is really trying to make an impact, uh, not only in the animal world, but even the human world. Um, so, you know, I kind of wanted to touch a little bit on, you know, we'd start with the animal stuff and some of the programs you guys do. And, and like I said, guys, everybody listening, what's phenomenal is that, um, we're going to have humane society on more because there's too much to talk about in, in one guest spot. And so today we kind of want to just touch on everything and, and give you an idea of what they're about. And then, like I said, we'll have more people on the show and we're going to dive into deep details of these, of these projects of this outreach. So, um, why don't you go ahead and just tell us some of the animal community related stuff that you guys are into. Oh my goodness. It is an ever-growing list. And honestly, whenever I meet with my fellow managers, that list just grows more. So, um, but as of currently, um, you know, we are a part of a large network of other shelters and rescue groups around um, around the state and the country. So just talking about animals specifically, um, whenever we have the capacity to take in um, more animals and help out another shelter or rescue. Um, we always do. Um, as an open ad- access, uh, no kill shelter in Martin County, you know, f- our first priority is to care for domestic pets in our community um, through our partnership with um, Martin County Animal Services. But we're always working with our um, network of, of rescue groups and shelters to help them when possible. Um, and we also have a very large um, pet therapy program um, where we actually work with certified pet therapy dogs um, and bring them to other facilities around the community um, in Martin and St. Lucie counties and provide uh, pet therapy to them, whether that's in um, nursing homes or rehab centers, maybe um, a hospital, we work with um, several um, after-school programs and um, classes in the Martin County School District to provide pet therapy um, through our, our Pause to Read program, where we actually support um, and encourage uh, literacy. And so that's truly amazing. Yeah, um, it is. So uh, tell us a little bit more about the animal care programs that are going on over at the Humane Society there. Sure. Well, of course, we have adoptions. Yeah. 
at our Humane Society. We adopt out almost 3,000 animals each year. Um, and then we serve another or a total of 6,000. Wow. Um, yeah. So through adoptions, we have um, you know, dogs, cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, hamsters, ferrets. Sometimes we have chickens or another type of bird. Um, I think I mentioned pigs, earlier yeah, that we pigs. had pigs. We actually currently have. Yes. We always, it, a couple times a year, we will have at least one or a couple pigs. Currently, we have three. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then crazy. a few weeks ago, we had a goat even. Yep. So we always get a variety <laughs> because we are an open access shelter. So if it's a domestic pet of any kind, we get it, um, which is really fun for us. Um, but sometimes the animals aren't ready for adoption, and so they might need to be fostered. So we rely on um, a really large, well-trained group of volunteers to foster. Um, Sometimes that's because maybe they're babies and so they're not old enough. Maybe they need to recover from an an illness or an injury, Mm -hmm. um, depending on the situation that they were in before they came to our shelter. Um, And sometimes they even need to be um, socialized for a while with um, extra trained fosters um, to help really Get them ready. Yeah, Yeah, build some confidence and make them a better pet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we we definitely we have a wide variety of reasons why animals come to our care, and so we try to treat each case the best that we can, as individualized as we can, to do what's best for the long term outcome of each pet. Um, So we have the fostering, we have adoptions, Um, we also provide actually the largest public spay neuter program in the region. Um, We have folks that pet owners that drive up from like as far south as maybe Boca um, or Delray um, and as far north as Indian River County um, to come to our shelter to utilize this service. Um, You know, part of our mission is to um, encourage responsible pet ownership. And so part of that is by making sure that pet owners are getting their animals um, spayed or neutered. Now, all of the animals that come, that are adopted from our shelter are already spayed or neutered. Um, And sometimes that's why we have the babies in foster until they're old enough to go through that before they're eligible for adoption. But it's a really great opportunity. We... Um, spay and neuter dogs, cats, and rabbits for the public. So if anyone out there is looking for an opportunity, now is the time. (laughs) Call us and schedule your appointment. Um, We also have grief counseling and humane euthanasia. Um, And that's also a really important and meaningful service that we provide even as a no-kill shelter. Um, You know, part of the the five freedoms include, um, you know, the freedom to um, live, you know, pain-free and without, um, you know, and and humanely. Um, and when that is no longer a viable option, um, we want to be able to offer an affordable um, opportunity or service for pet owners. Yeah. Um, and so we're really grateful that we can provide that. Um, and we have some nice memorial options to help pet owners say goodbye to their loved ones as well, because as we all know, when you adopt a pet, they truly become a member of your family. So we want to be a part of that journey, um, whether or not you adopt from us. Um, yeah. Well, even I had uh, one of my one of my clients was nice enough. It was very wonderful of them. Uh, when I lost Penny Lane, mm-hmm. uh, we actually got a um, 
uh, card in the mail from the Humane Society that they were gracious enough to make an adopt or excuse me make a donation in her memory, uh, and that's part of it as well. You know, really nice and you know they said that little something would be done and, and, and not just the not just the donation itself. So it was just it's very nice to see something like that as well, and that that helps with the grief uh, grieving process too. You know, so absolutely, and we yeah. have a we have a memorial garden on our site as well mm. where people can um, buy um, bricks and pavers or tree plaques to help memorialize um, their loved one as well in addition to the cards that we do so we really try to be a part of the entire process for families um, even the not as happy ones Um, and then we also have a few intake prevention programs that we offer the public as well Um, you know sometimes if people are going through difficult times financially and they don't feel like they can provide um, maybe like all the food that's needed or something. You know, we do have a like a little food pantry. Um, and so there's things that we try to do, um, like I said before, on more of like an individual level to help meet the needs of pet owners in Martin County and, and help keep pets in the home for as long as possible. Nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little more about the adoption process and, and how that kind of goes when someone's interested in getting getting a new dog or a new animal, I guess, for that matter. I can't really say just dog <laughs> or cat here. Yeah. Sure. No, it's we try to keep it super simple. Um, due to the pandemic, we are open to the public only by appointment for right now, but we already have all of our adoptable pets available for view on our website. So you can just hop on www.hstc.org slash pet hyphen search and you can filter by species or age whatever animal pet you are looking to bring into your family um, you can find them for adopt available for adoption on the website once you see an animal or two or three that maybe (laughs) you want to adopt just give us a call and schedule an appointment to come and visit us and you can meet um, the animal uh, in person and complete your adoption right there it's a super quick um, adoption application that you can fill out um, right there so we do all same day adoptions but dogs are $130, cats 50, rabbits 25, and then all of our various critters are $10. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but there's different ways that you can support us, um, including adoption. But if it's not the right time for you to bring a new pet into your home, you might also want to consider volunteering with us. We depend on roughly 500 volunteers annually to serve our 6,000 animals and continue all of our various program services and other activities. Um, And we also make that a super easy process as well. You can complete the application right on our website. And we even offer a junior volunteer program. So you only have to be 16 years or older to to participate. Um, So that's really cool. Um, But we also... Obviously, we are a charity, so we do uh, kindly ask for any and all types of donations to support our charitable work. You can um, give online at wwwhstc one donate um, You might also want to support us through our Amazon wish list, um, which you can find on Amazon, or you can also find on our website at hstc one give there's all kinds of ways that uh, everybody can get involved. So you can definitely check out the website and get some more information on that. And you know what? One thing I always like to ask that I feel so bad we've gone this long and I haven't even asked, what about your pets? What about your animals? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about uh, your dog. Oh my goodness. Well, I do have a cat um, that I rescued 
She's a little feral that I rescued in college, um, and I love her dearly, but she hates all living creatures. Um, But I I also have a dog named Shelby, the light of my life. I was a foster failure. For those of you who are not aware of that term, it's what we call people who are supposed to foster and then return the pet and then... They end up keeping them for themselves. So that's what I did with Shelby. Her mom came in as a stray um, in late 2019, and she ended up being pregnant and actually gave birth to a litter of 10 on December 6th, 2019. Hmm. And um, a family brought in the the mother and the litter um, while you know, the mom was feeding and everything. And then just a couple weeks in, the mom wanted, you know, her her litter to have like nothing to do with her. She was done. She's like, I've given you all I can. <laughs> we're done with this. So um, fortunately, it was right at the time where they were old enough to to stop. So we didn't have to worry about bottle feeding, which happens quite frequent, frequently. Yeah. yeah. But they, the litter came back to our shelter, all of these little tiny little munchkins um and it's so funny because the mom was definitely like a a rottweiler mix of some sort she looked like a rotty um but her litter she had 10 and four of them were like tan solid like hound looking dogs and four of them were solid black and then there were these two really pretty like multicolored just chubby little nuggets of a butterball. And one of them, the biggest of the bunch, was Shelby, my dog. So I started out fostering her. And then the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. I'm obsessed with her. It's really bad. I bring her to work with me. <laughs> Isn't that it's such a great advantage of your job, though, right? You get to bring your dog to work. I know, but I didn't want to be a failure. I want. <laughs> but it's every, the best. It's the best it kind is, of failure you it can is, possibly be. But it was. Yeah. It was so funny because when I first started fostering her, um, our foster coordinator at the time, um, she said, "Oh, this is one of the perks you get to name the puppy." <laughs> And I said, I'm not naming this puppy because I'm supposed to give the puppy back to you. And I knew that once, like once I name this puppy, it's game over. So I called her puppy and I did not name her <laughs> for like two weeks. I And I loved her and she was very well taken care of. But I just kept calling her puppy because I said, no, God. her owners can name her. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not even going to trade crate train her. Her owners can crate train her. And then jokes on me because... Four weeks in, I'm like, okay, we belong together. Your name is Shelby, and we'll figure out your <laughs> your crate situation. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's been great. And now she's two and a half and killing it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So just the cat and the dog, though, right? Just the cat and the dog, yeah. yeah. my so um, That's got to be tough. I mean, walking into work, it's got to be tough yes. to go in there to work every day. Yes, it is. It with... is. There's definitely been several. I mean, hell, I, vi- I visited like, you guys. Oh, take you. I visited you guys once and came home with two barn you cats. Did. So, you did. Know. <laughs> you did. I know. I there's there every day. definitely some. Actually, we had several hamsters come in this past week and like, Four employees took a hamster home, each of them. <laughs> it's so hard. There's um, there's really just so many loving animals in our care every single day. And, you know, at any given time, we could be in the care of upwards of 300 animals, and they are all 
deserving wow. of a home. And so, you know, we have a staff of of around 47 wow. working, you know, in our shelter and, and in our two thrift stores. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, we all at any moment could just take them all home because they're, they're great. It's dangerous. <laughs> but I try Dangerous to, job. Fortunately, my semi-feral cat would not have it. So yeah. she would really ruin my life so the, if I brought home another animal. <laughs> so that's, it's a yes, good, that keeps it's me a in good, check. yeah, it keeps you in check. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's great. So uh, there is a big event coming up this weekend, right? There sure is. So why don't you tell everybody about this event you have Oh, going I would on. love to. Yeah. We are having our annual Southeast Bun Fest this Saturday on April 24th. And it's a very special Bun Fest this year because it actually marks our 10th year anniversary of having this event. Um, if you're not familiar, it is the largest uh, bunny, guinea pig, and small animal uh, event in the Southeast United States. Um, and while we typically enjoy people and speakers from all over the country, um, you know, to come in and join us for this one day in-person event, uh, it's going to look a little bit different this year because of the pandemic. But we're very excited to have a virtual Southeast Bunfest this year. We're still going to have uh, many of the great speakers that our participants and guests know and enjoy year after year. Um, there's going to be some fun activities and a really special vendor market. So, and best of all, it's going to be free. Nice. So you can uh, check out more on our website at hstc1.org slash Southeast Bunfest, all one word. All the details and the schedule for Saturday's events are all there. Nice. And that's Bunfest, B-U-N-F-E-S-T, just in case. Yes, yeah, was, you know, a bun, fest bun like, like a bun, bunny. bunny. Yeah. <laughs> but it's for all small critters. So. Yeah. yeah, and that's awesome. I mean, you know, it, in a way, it's kind of cool that it's virtual because now people... I mean, you know, we've got we've got listeners. We've been kind of seeing it all over the country, which is really phenomenal. Thank you guys for listening, by the way. Uh, but it's really cool because you guys could be a part of this this year, which is amazing. Um, so you can kind of check out the website and see if you can get involved, and it could be a good time. So tenth annual, uh, tenth tenth anniversary, excuse me, of the annual annual Southeast. Bun Fest. So you guys can check that out. That's really cool. Um, and I know my actually, I mean, I mean I've only lived here a couple of years. Um, but my my in laws, I mean, they they love rabbits. They really do. My my mother in law still has a rabbit. Um, she always has them. She always keeps rabbits. She loves them. And they've been to the Bun Fest. And they said it's actually oh. surprisingly a lot of fun. Like you know, yes. it's like you know, a bunny festival. But they said it's amazing. It was a it, great time. And they said the speakers were great and uh, really and just a neat different thing you know a different festival that you know you have the pet fest and the dog fest but it's neat to have that small animal small creature centric kind of event going on so Absolutely. definitely want to check that out yeah that's cool yeah that was actually awesome. my first event um, working for the humane society that was my first introduction <laughs> to animal world yeah. and it just blew me away um we have yeah great speakers um all sorts of fun activities it's really important you know that we share how to best um, care yeah. for, you know, this relatively unknown um, species, if you will. So it's it's a growing group of of bunny pet owners yes. across the lands. And, and we're just doing our part to make sure that everyone is prepared and has the appropriate resources. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. So if you guys are available on Saturday, I hope you guys check it out. That's awesome. That's fantastic. 
Very cool. So, you know, it's really just phenomenal. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I really am that uh, we've got this little collaboration going on between Speak a Dog Cast and the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast. And we're going to be talking about all the different facets they have there. We're going to have different people um, from different different parts of the organization that are going to come back on the show and talk about their, their expertise in their particular areas. And it's really just going to be phenomenal to get to know them more. And like I said, that the tour of the facility was really great. It was uh, just neat to see excitement and passion with other animal people and to see all the growing, the growth that's going on there. And one thing that I think is is worth mentioning, it's really interesting, uh, Taylor will tell us about, is that uh, Humane Society of the Treasure Coast, you know, tell us the fact that you guys are, you're on your own, right? You're not affiliated with anybody. You are a lone organization out there on your own, kicking butt and taking numbers. So <laughs> tell us just a little more about that. We are. And many people are always um, surprised and interested to learn that we are actually a local independent nonprofit and we're not associated with any other humane society um, in the area or elsewhere. And that's including the Humane Society of the United States. So that means that our board of directors that governs us and creates our policies, they're all um, local volunteers in our area. Um, and that means that all of our um, funding comes from um local support, um, whether that's local businesses who sponsor us or individuals um, who give to us or even foundations who um, provide us grants through our work. All of it is local. So we really just require um, and appreciate being able to have our community rally behind us, especially during this past year with these uncertain times yeah. of the pandemic, um, to be able to continue our work. Because as you know, the animals don't know that there's a co- that there's a <laughs> pandemic happening and they still need help. And, and so we're grateful that we can be for that, be there for them. Definitely. And it, it just it just goes to speak again. I mean, the, the Martin County community, it's really an amazing area. And the fact that you guys are, like I said, you're out there on your own and doing this and succeeding and thriving and growing. It's it really speaks to um, to, well, the passion of the people that are behind it, of course, uh, but the community in the area. And, and really, it's just, I think, incredible to see such a great organization doing great things. And as I've talked about before, that's that's who I like having on the show. Uh, other great animal people doing great animal stuff. So um, I just want to thank you. Thank you, Taylor, for coming on today. I appreciate your time. And I really look forward to all the, all the conversations we're going to have in the future. So, it's going to be great. Yeah, Thanks again for having awesome. us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Louise from Concord, Massachusetts. Louise asks, David, what was your first dog? And you know, in order to tell you what my first dog was, I have to tell you another story first. When I was really, I mean, look, I wanted a dog as far back as I can remember as a little kid, really. As far back as I can remember, I wanted a dog. And my parents got me as my first, my, my first pet was a guinea pig. And that was a good, you know, great way for them to teach me responsibility, see if I was going to take care of it and everything. And I wanted a dog so badly that, you know what I named this guinea pig? I named the guinea pig Fido. <laughs> I gave it the quintessential dog name because that's how badly I wanted a dog. So I named my guinea pig a dog name. <laughs> but I was about, I think I was about seven years old when we, seriously, the whole family started talking about getting a dog. And my parents knew what an undertaking having a dog is, so... We took our time a bit, and I think my dad was more hesitant than anybody. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny as I talked about earlier in this in this podcast. Um, you know, my dad grew up with dogs in, in differently than we do now, and he 
his view of what a dog was was not what we wanted our dog. And so I think that was his hesitation was just the way he was brought up with dogs. So it took a lot of convincing, a lot of research. And it's funny because <laughs> he actually was out of town, out of the country when we ended up getting the dog. <laughs> no, he knew we were going to get the dog, but it's just kind of funny that we waited literally until he was out of the country to get it. And we got a Shih Tzu and the Shih Tzu was named Ashley and we got her as a little puppy. I mean, she was a tiny little puppy. So it was a cool experience as a little kid to be a part of that, raising her. And we did everything. We did crating and all that good stuff with her and didn't walk her enough. I didn't understand. I don't think my family understood the importance of even walking something like a Shih Tzu. My mom does now. My mom walks her, her Shih Tzu Maddie, uh, her current dog, now every single day. So thanks, Mom. It's really awesome. <laughs> but uh, but no, Ashley was my first dog. And Ashley lived to be 17 years old, which was crazy. I got her when I was seven, and, and she passed away when I was in college, which was just nuts. And yeah, she was my first dog, my family dog. The only dog I had growing up was Ashley. And uh, it was a great learning experience, maybe of someone not to do as well. You know, I think I've talked about how I probably reinforced some undesired behaviors as a little kid unknowingly and <laughs> learned from it. But no, she was my first dog and, and we loved her a lot. She was very loved, obviously lived to a, a nice old age. So clearly she was well loved and well taken care of. Next question. This comes from Tony from Boca Raton, Florida. And Tony asks, is there a time limit on walking my dog? And, you know, how long maybe should the average walk be? Now, this is sort of kind of specific to your breed, the size of your dog, maybe health restrictions. There's a few things that take into consideration. But on the average, on the average, walks are probably going to be anywhere between 30 minutes to upward of an hour, an hour and a half even, depending on what kind of dog. But 30 minutes is kind of that good mark to start at. If Even if you have a small breed, maybe a breed that doesn't require a ton of exercise, a good 30-minute walk is a good baseline to start at, right? And like I said, as the dog gets bigger, then we're going to go up to the 45-minute mark, the hour mark, and maybe even hour and a half for something like a German Shepherd or a Lab or more high-energy breeds, maybe a working dog like a Border Collie or something like that. You know, they're going to need a longer walk to get more exercise, more fulfillment. Now, there are certain restrictions. Uh, you know, if you have a puppy... If you have a large breed puppy, guys, you don't want to be overwalking them. The one thing you definitely don't want to be doing is running them. You don't want to run a large breed as a puppy. And the reason why is they grow so fast, right? These guys grow so fast that it can actually overstress their overstress their joints and it can cause some issues. It can actually uh, even bring on arthritis earlier in their life, things like that, that it's just a good idea to not overexercise them when they're puppies. So keep that in mind when you're, when you do have a puppy, know the breed size. Now, of course, like I said, guys, little dogs, obviously a little dog does not need an hour and a half long walk. A little puppy especially does not need an hour and a half long walk. Um, so you kind of want to be mindful, but like I said, that kind of, that 30 minute starting point, that's, that's where I kind of start. Uh, look, I just talked about my Shih Tzu. My Shih Tzu could go for a 30 minute walk. My mom takes her Shih Tzu for a half an hour. Great walk. And, and that's, that's pretty darn good for her. Now I think some Shih Tzus maybe depending upon weather and size and, you know, maybe you could go a little longer, <laughs> a little more exercise, nothing wrong with that. But that's the point. Know your breed, know your puppy, know some medical requirements, such as if you shouldn't be exercising them until a certain age. Uh, all those things are very important to research and are very breed specific. So I can't give you like the, hey, it's exactly this long for every dog. It doesn't quite work that way. But obviously, the larger the dog, 
the more uh, energy that they have, the more maybe drive and intelligence even that they have, the smarter they are, they're going to need a little more exercise. So you want to take that into consideration. And the other thing, since you, you know, Tony, since you're from Boca, uh, I want to throw out there, anybody in Florida, for that matter, anybody in hot environments, it gets hot everywhere. <laughs> I mean, really, it does. This is very important, guys, really important. Um, when you go outside, you want to take your hand, you want to put it to the concrete for five seconds and hold it there. If you can't hold your hand to that concrete or asphalt for five seconds because it's too hot, then it's too hot to walk your dog, okay? It's really, it's that simple. It doesn't matter where you live. If, it, if it's too hot to hold your hand on it, it's too hot for your dog's pads. It can blister them. It can actually hurt their pads. So please take that into consideration. Please use my five-second rule, especially as we're starting to get into the hotter months now. Uh, so something really to remember when you're out walking your dog. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. And thank you to my guest, Taylor Gilmore from the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast for coming on the show today. You guys can check out more information about them at hstc1.org. That's hstc1.org. If you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Find me on social media. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.